Pastor Matt, you've been raising awareness about social media and offering suggestions on how to have a healthy relationship on social media. What is your take on the pros and the cons of, of social media? Well, I'll start with the cons because um, I think those are immediately obvious to a lot of folks, even if we've never thought through exactly how to articulate them. I think it's it's clear to us that social media is not famous for making us more patient, more long-suffering, more kind, more generous, more energized. If anything, uh, social media seems to have a kind of depleting effect um, on our attitude and on our energy. And it's it can be a dangerous place. I mean, we, we live in an age of outrage where the temperature on virtually every conversation, it seems, is set to blazing hot. And therefore, it's very easy to be distracted by and caught up in the noise of uh, what's going on, not only with political and cultural debates, but also with uh, things in the church that, that might be rightly lamentable. But uh, if our only diet is seeing headlines of things that are going wrong in the world, it can cause us easily to lose heart and lose hope. Um, and what ultimately matters and who and who ultimately wins. Um, and that's our Lord. In a podcast, you referred to something called the uh, Wisdom Pyramid. What, what is that? Well, that's a nod to my friend Brett McCracken's book titled The Wisdom Pyramid, where he is taking the idea of, of the food pyramid, and he's just talking about how you we can have the same conversation about wisdom and a healthy life will be reflective of this wisdom pyramid, where at the base you have scripture, uh, you have theology, you have involvement in church, you have appreciation for nature, reading solid books, and social media exists, but it's at that very, you know, the very top of the triangle, something that we ought to use sparingly. But, you know, to the, to the degree that we invert it, and our primary spiritual diet is coming from what we see on our timelines, we impoverish ourselves. What should parents consider about allowing their kids to have a smartphone and also about letting them take part in social media? Well, I, I hesitate to, to want to come across as legalistic on this because, of course, the Bible doesn't, you know, speak about social media directly. Uh, much less kind of give us an age for appropriate use. But I, I am willing to speak strongly on this and say that parents should do everything they can to keep smartphones out of the hands of their children um, as long as possible. Um, you know, I, I think that basically children should not have smartphones until they're able to drive. Um, I understand that there there are legitimate exceptions and it may be a, a, a case of situational wisdom. And yet statistics show uh, the adverse effect on teenagers in terms, of, um, in terms of depression, anxiety, mental health at a stage in their lives when their minds are still really malleable. Um, and, and literally the, the, the brain is affected and it's, it's, it can even be wired in unhelpful ways by incessant use of smartphones at, in that kind of formative stage of life. And that's not to mention a conversation about wanting to cultivate spiritual virtue and how 
for young people, uh, we are not setting them up for long-term spiritual success by giving them the world in their pockets at a premature age. I don't often quote Pontius Pilate, but he uh, is quoted as saying, what is truth? Is it easy to get caught up in untruths and inaccuracies on social media? Well, absolutely, because that's in some ways the currency on which the whole enterprise runs. So I mentioned outrage earlier, uh, but but there's also the reality of uh, misinformation. And, and so something that I've, I've, I've mentioned before in other contexts is that uh, – so the, the, the danger of social media, addiction to social media, uh, the danger is that it'll, it'll make you aware of everything and wise about nothing. And that's why I'm happy you mentioned the wisdom pyramid earlier, because this is a conversation not about knowledge, but about wisdom. And those two things are not exactly the same. And I do fear that we are creating a generation of Christians who have knowledge that's a mile wide, but wisdom that's an inch deep. And uh, one other factor here, Richard, is just, is just the idea of how social media, social media has an isolating effect. Um, your, your influence on social media may be broad, but it's shallow, meaning you reach a lot of people, but your impact on them, on their lives, is minimal. Whereas in the context of a local church, where, where Jesus intends for his followers to flourish and thrive, you might impact relatively few people. Your impact might not feel as broad as it could be on social media, but the influence you have over their life is profound. In other words, it's narrow but deep. And I, I'll, I'll take that uh, rather than the alternative any day of the week. So what should Christians consider when it comes to responding to a comment or a topic or deciding they want to do a new post, what, what should they kind of look at before it goes into Etherland? Well, I think it's helpful to remember that when we are, quote-unquote, our online selves, we are not exempt from the commands of Scripture. So when, when Jesus says things like, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak, uh, when the Apostle Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, when, the, uh, when, when Solomon says in Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, they're also in the power of the thumb. In other words, this has to do with all of our speech, whether spoken or written. Um, so I think, I think we need to remember that our online selves are our real selves. We, we can't separate the two. Um, and I also think it's important to remember when we conduct ourselves online, that, that we ought to give people the benefit of the doubt just as we would want to be given the benefit of the doubt. In other words, it, to assume the best. It, it is so easy to be a person in our modern cultural moment who is easy to offend and difficult to please. But, oh, that the church would stand up and stand out as a compelling alternative witness of people who are amazingly to a watching world, hard to offend and easy to please. Not because we're gullible, not because we're naive, not because we're pushovers, but because we are those who can't get over the fact that we've been saved and treated far better than we deserve by God. And therefore, we, are, we want to treat others in the same way. And in your own church family um, in, in the Richmond area, 
do you sense a lot of social media use? Uh, are parents asking you questions? Do kids ask you questions? It's more through conversations with parents. Uh, a lot of my church members aren't very active on social media, which is one of the things I love about them. <laughs> uh, prior to living here in Richmond, Virginia, I, I lived in a uh, seminary city um, where the Christians there were a lot more dialed into conversations about happenings within the Christian world or the, the, the world at large. And so you would often find yourself in conversations about kind of the the controversy du jour, whereas uh, it's actually been refreshing for me pastoring in a place where people seem uh, to be more animated by uh, their in what's going on in their immediate contexts and um, what the Bible uh, holds out to us as, as being worth our best attention and energy. And I suppose that uh, what you've been saying would also be true with um virtual reality with with the metaverse? That's right. I mean, I I would have a whole host of concerns about what's coming there. Uh, In other words, what's coming down down the pipeline there. You can already see it with chat, GPT, and and other things related to artificial intelligence. It's just going to be, it's going to be a frontline ethical concern for Christians in the months and years to come as we think about what this means for the uh, Imago Dei, the image of God and man, um, what we're called to be and do as his image bearers who exist for his glory, and how it will be tempting for professing Christians to organize their lives around what is most convenient in a kind of curated way, like I'm going to create my own little world in which no one tells me what I don't want to hear. I'm going to lean into online or virtual reality communities um, where there's no meaningful fellowship or accountability. And I just think that that is a, uh, a poor substitute for the high vision that Jesus holds out to us in the local church. Um, It would be a tragedy if things like artificial intelligence or virtual reality supplanted the centrality of the local church in the Christian life. And one other thing I'll say on this, Richard, is, is I, I know that coming out of the, the, the pandemic, many folks uh, feel like they're gathering muscles, you could say, uh, in terms of coming to church on Sundays, that their gathering muscles have atrophied because of months of just tuning in online. Um, but what I want to say to people who, who maybe haven't uh, resolved to, to go back to church regularly, weekly, I would want to say, hey, get your body there and trust that your heart will catch up. Don't wait until you feel like going to church until you do. Get there and trust that that's where the Lord wants you to be and trust that the discipline will give way to delight. Understood. Thank you for sharing that part especially. Pastor Matt, and thank you for sharing your, your heart on this whole topic. Thank you, Richard. It's an honor to be with you.